Hi, this is Jeff Epstein, and this is my podcast, People Conversations, and today I am talking with a Bernie Krat in New York, uh, Jeff Curzon, and uh, we're just going to see uh, what's going on up there with his campaign in, uh, and in New York. Um, so, hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good, good. Um, why, don't you, why, don't you, why don't we start off just by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and your campaign and uh, your background, and well, why don't you say yourself and, and your background? Well, my name is Jeff Curzon. I'm someone who was born in Boston. I went to school in Montreal. I moved to New York in 2003. I became really active in the political process in 2007 when I got excited about Obama's campaign. Um, I organized a group of over 2,000 New Yorkers to rally for him grassroots style. We did events and fundraisers. And then I took six months off from my job at a big law firm to uh, door knock in New Hampshire for four months, and I organized uh, Asian-American outreach at Obama's California headquarters. And then when I came back to my big law firm job, I realized that I wanted to help small businesses, so I started a law firm um, that is now called Curzon Cohen and Stankati, and we've um been helping individuals and small businesses uh, solve problems, essentially. In 2014, I ran for Congress um, on the issue that we need to change the way our elections are financed. Um, it was becoming clear to me since, um, I guess, when I first started campaigning for Obama, I was really excited that he was refusing money from PACs and lobbyists and more the more and more I thought about it, it was that our lawmakers are not even writing the laws anymore. It's the lobbyists and our government is representing the interests of the wealthy and the big corporations. Um when corporate political action committees are allowed to give to candidates, they pick up the phone from those corporations, but if a voter in the district has an important concern you know, it gets uh, sidelined and given less importance. So, um, I mean, there are many issues that affect the people in New York's 7th Congressional District that uh, I think affect people all over the country. And we're not able to effectively deal with these issues until we change the way we finance our elections. So... I wasn't going to run again in 2016, uh, except that I saw that Bernie was talking about taking big money out of politics, and I thought, well, you know, maybe more voters will be thinking about this issue again, um, or you know, thinking about it more. So I decided to throw my hat in the ring, and I've been a candidate since um, February, uh, early March, when I began collecting the signatures so I could get my name on the ballot for this uh, June primary. You said that Obama did not accept big donations? Well, I think it might have changed in 2012, but in 2008, he distinguished himself by refusing money to his presidential campaign that came from PACs or lobbyists. I'm very um, surprised. I'm very surprised to hear that. I thought that he accepted Big money from the very beginning. I mean, he certainly accepted it at least at one point. 
Well, it depends how you define big money. Um, back back then, the max contribution that an individual could make was twenty three hundred dollars. So I remember going to an event in Soho um, that I paid twenty three hundred dollars to go to, and there were probably a hundred uh, wealthy people in the room, including uh, George Soros, and uh, you know, the the people that can organize a type of event like that have very wealthy networks. Um, so it's not that Obama was uh, a campaign finance reform saint, but he was, I think, refusing money from PACs and lobbyists to finance his campaign. Um, and then I was less involved in 2012. I know that he had a super PAC, and that sort of gave me a, a sour taste, so I... I didn't really um, get too involved in that election. I, I'm very surprised, honestly. I, I, I did not know that there was a point where he was not accepting. I mean, it doesn't seem as nearly as strict as what, what uh, Senator Sanders is. Um, <clears throat> but I, I've always personally seen Obama and, and Sanders as similar in the sense that there's, I consider them both um, visionaries. Um, I consider Sanders to be more of a visionary, by far, honestly. But I do consider both of them to be visionaries. And but what distinguishes them is is donations. Um, that I see uh, that Obama accepted donations, big donations, as he muted his. But he he muted himself. He he made it. He, he made it so that it was harder for him to do what he truly wants to do. And he was he was a decent president, um, maybe even a good president, but that put such a limitation on him. And and Sanders just doesn't have that same situation. Yeah, so I'm I'm not hundred percent sure if Sanders is refusing money from uh PACs or lobbyists, but I remember in two thousand eight that's what Obama was doing and uh, at one point, the, the Democratic National Committee was actually refusing money from, I think, uh, because of Obama's presidency, they were refusing money from federal contractors, and that just recently been reversed by the the chair of the Democratic National Committee that a lot of people are calling uh, for her resignation now. Um, in 2012, I don't know if Obama stuck to the uh, pledge not to take money from lobbyists or political action committees, but I know that um, by that point there was a super PAC involved in helping him. And um, you know, Sanders is talking about this issue, and he doesn't want a super PAC uh, this cycle, um, whereas you know Clinton has embraced super PACs, and you know there's even the absurd one that. Uh, pays internet trolls to, um, you know, basically push Hillary's uh, message and, you know, attack people who don't support her message. David Brock's correct the record, but it's worse than that because they're, I mean, no one can prove anything, of course, but it's, it's, it's impersonating Sanders supporters, making them purposely look bad, behaving badly. And then other other um, correct record people accusing the Sanders supporters of being horrible, basically. Um, yeah, I have never met a horrible Sanders supporter, so uh, that that makes sense. Um, 
But, you know, even the best intentioned uh, Democrats, like I know Senator Sanders for his Senate campaign would take money from political action committees. They're usually um, union-based political action committees. And the more I've been thinking about it, the um, the spending by unions of money in elections doesn't really make sense. Like the incumbent in New York's District 7 takes a lot of union PAC money um, which is essentially money from members of the union that the management of the union then gets to spend on elections. And mm-hmm. it, you know, my I can only speak to my experience really, but I went to the uh, teachers union here in New York, and and I wanted to bring up the point that you know as much money as they spend, they they write ten thousand dollar checks to the incumbent, and um, they they don't even consider giving them to a candidate like me who's not taking money from political action committees. And they don't consider that for every $10,000 that they're allowed to spend, um, corporations uh, outnumber them and that generally capital will always have more money than labor. Uh, so <clears throat> so they set them up self, themselves up for a losing battle. Um, what I'd like to see is a cap on expenditures for federal elections. So that it's not just um, the, the situation today is that 96% of the time uh, the candidate with the most money wins the election. So essentially before people even vote, um, it's a contest of money. And then, you know, we're just uh, we're just having the election in name only. But the, the real election is who can get the most money to get their name out there. Right. And uh, this, the system's fundamentally unfair and in favor of the wealthy and the well-connected to the big corporations. Right, right. Um, so let's talk about your campaign. So you, what is, what is, how are you doing your fundraising? What is money like in your campaign? So in 2014... And actually, uh, you are, you're running for... Tell us what you're running for. Um, so I'm running for House of Representatives. Uh, you know, to be one of the 435 members of the uh, United States Congress House, House of Representatives, and it's District 7 in New York, which uh, includes Lower Manhattan, uh, large parts of um, Northern and Western Brooklyn, uh, from like Sunset Park to Brooklyn Heights to Cypress Hills, and then it's also Ridgewood and Woodhaven, Queens. Um, and how many people so, are in your district? Uh, there's Close to 750,000 people. Like um, it's the same uh, proportional number, I think, in every congressional district based on the 2010 census numbers. We have 231,000 registered Democrats who can vote in the upcoming primary. <coughs> so, and, it, you um, just said that there are 750,000 in every district. They break it up by that number. E, I mean, roughly. Yeah, it's, like, it's slightly less than that. You know the. The Senate and the House are different. Like the Senate, two two senators per state. You know, whereas uh, Rhode Island and California, which have vastly different populations, still have the same amount of senators. Um, in the House, it's supposed to be uh, proportionate to the population. So the lines get redrawn every ten years, and um, you know it's. 
it's done in a in a very strange way where the state state legislature is supposed to decide what the lines are. But if you zoom in on uh, the map of our district, it was I believe designed so that um, uh, the Latino voting bloc would be larger, so that they would have more representation. So there's a higher there's a, a reasonably high Latino vote in your district. Yeah. So demographically, the district's about 40% uh, Latino <coughs> ancestry, um, about 20% Asian American, 20% Caucasian, 20% African American. Um, the, the numbers are slightly different than that. And, you know, of course, just within the large Chinese community, there's very different uh, languages that are spoken and very different cultures. Uh, we have Fukunese, Cantonese, um, Mandarin speakers, uh, people from Shanghai, and then the Latino community and the African-American community is just as diverse as the Caucasian community who, you know, um, I'm Armenian. I don't really know what category to put that in, but... Um, my mother's side of the family is English and Irish, and um, the point the point I'm trying to make is that the oh, we were talking about money in politics, but now we're we're talking about uh, race, and I think um, the 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 problems that people are facing in my district bring them together um, to make them, you know, uh, unique. I mean, not not unique, but the the um, I, I don't want to say race doesn't matter because people identify with race, but essentially uh, we live in one of the or I live our district is one of the most diverse districts in the country, and I'm really proud of that. So, what is your what is your heritage? Uh, well, my dad's side of the family is Armenian um, and a little bit Scottish, and then my mom's. English and Irish. I did a DNA test and I found out that I have some Spanish blood, some Italian blood, and um, part Ashkenazi. So I, um, I guess I can say I'm part Jewish. I don't know. I was raised as a Catholic. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so fundraising with your with your election. So you've done this before. This is the same. You ran for this position already. And yeah. Now. So I'm not I'm not really fundraising this time. Um, what I did in 2014 was spend time on the phone calling people, had fundraiser events, uh, emailed, and it was really absorbing uh, uh, at least half of my time, which took took away from me actually interacting with voters in the district, and I found that really frustrating. Um, you know, it was great to get a donation from in the district, but, um, you know, I was taking money from everywhere possible, um, you know, friends from grammar school, high school, college, law school, uh, you know, former co-workers, and really just looking for money where I could find it. Um, and I raised $100,000, but that was a drop in the bucket to the $700,000 that the incumbent got. And all my contributions came from individuals. Her contributions mainly came from political action committees, whether they were associated with a corporation, a trade association, or a union. And um, that's what she's done this cycle as well. When, when, I when I challenged her last cycle to 
stop taking money from PACs and lobbyists, um, which I think is a reasonable request since she's supposed to be working for me since I'm the citizen, I'm the voter. And um, I actually never got a response to, to that letter. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't I don't think that Democrats like the incumbent in this office that I'm trying to take uh, really understand how it's a conflict of interest to take money from, say, a bank pack and then be on the House Financial Services Committee if you're if your job in Congress is to regulate the banks and then the banks are making campaign contributions to you, of course you're going to vote to repeal Glass-Steagall, you know, because they'll ask you to, to repeal Glass-Steagall so that they can merge with insurance companies and investment banks can merge with commercial banks. And that, you know, just allowed the casino culture of Wall Street that sank our economy in 2008, 2009. Um, so, so the conflict of interest needs to be addressed, but there's no incentive for the incumbent members of con Congress to address that because um, even if you know I'm a Democrat and they're Democrats and we want to think of ourselves as the party of the people, the gravy train is just too great for them. So you know they'll blame Republicans for social issues and distinguish themselves on social issues, but really um, in my in my view, the way the system works now is both the Democrats and the Republicans are the party of corporate America. Yeah, it's uh, you. You can have your you can have your one percent in blue flavor, or you can have your one percent in red flavor, um, or you can you know you can have Bernie Sanders. <clears throat> pretty much, I mean that's what the choice is in this election. Um, so, so your opponent is doing it in the same way this election as. She, as she, I believe, she did it last time, right? Yeah, um, so she's ten thousand so dollar checks from from political action committees. So and she's they, raised, you know, they're based in Washington, and I don't know exactly how the transaction goes down, but I imagine that there's, um, you know, wine and cheese, and then representatives of these packs show up maybe with the t their ten thousand dollar checks. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how it works. And, so she's raised a substantial amount of money. She raised like a quarter million, I mean, three quarters of a million last time. And I'm sure she's at least that at this time. And I hadn't thought of this till you were just telling me that story, but it's not just a conflict of interest to, to do fundraising. Um, it's obviously a conflict of interest. That's, that's the core of the problem because you get money and they're not, they want something for their money. But it's also, it's more than that. It's, the t they spend so much time, and you experience this, you spend so much time raising money that you just simply don't have time to listen to your constituents, to spend time with your constituents, to know what the real right. problems are. Right. So you spend, you, my view of what a member of Congress should do, 100% of their time is spend time with people in their district so that they can understand the problems and then spend time with other members of Congress to work out solutions for those problems. Um, and that's essentially passing legislation. Um, you know, until legislation's passed, there's the existing legislation. And a, and a congressional office, I think, can help with constituent services um, to make constituents aware of what, what 
people already, um, sort of as an information hub. Um, but really to change the law and to to solve problems that way, you need to spend time in Washington. Um, and I think, actually, I just saw, so I'm probably doing myself a disservice by saying this, but there's a third candidate who's running, and um, he um, sent out, an, he's been raising money, um, and he sent out a negative mailer on the incumbent, and it says that she's missed um, 72% of committee meetings. And I'm not sure if, if I'm getting that exactly right, but he was basically calling her an absentee member of Congress. Um, so, so she gets the corporate money to to buy action, but it also buys inaction. You know, the Republicans and Democrats don't have a, a, an approval rating that's higher than 10%. I don't think so. Most Americans think Congress is broken, and um, you know, the solution I've identified is that we have to do campaign finance reform. To get that message out to voters of the district, um, unfortunately, is is difficult. Um, I decided this cycle not to raise money, uh, to just spend my time talking to voters. Um, after this interview, I'm going out to Williamsburg to register voters. Um, we have a Richard. deadline. Oh, oh yeah. What what is the timing? Because your well, primary first, your primary was about a month ago, but that, no, you the, weren't in that primary. No, no, no. The primary is June 28th. Um, so we're the, the presidential voters. primary. Oh, the presidential was primary was about a was month April ago. 19th. Yeah, uh, right. a little over a month ago. And I, I'm running for surrogate in Burlington County, New Jersey, and I'm being, I'm, my voting happens alongside Bernie Sanders. So I'm June 7th uh, with him. So you're you're not with Bernie Sanders. So you're June what? Uh, June 28th. So you're lucky because you'll hopefully get a higher turnout. Um, in 2014, when I ran in the June 2014 primary in New York's 7th Congressional District, less than 10,000 Democrats voted. Uh, so that was about 4% of the registered Democrats in the district. And the question I've been asking is why did the 96% vote? And you know, I think uh, as much as we tried to reach everyone and convince them that changing the way we finance elections will help solve a lot of their problems, um, most people stayed home and didn't vote. So uh, we're we're registering voters today because on June 3rd uh, is the last day to postmark your uh, application if you're a first-time voter. So we're, we're hoping to find some first-time voters today. And we, okay. we had success with doing that um, on Saturday in the Lower East Side. So how did you do last time? Well, last time I got 1,800 votes and the incumbent got 7,600 votes. But, okay. um, was that good or was, bad? Well, it's good and say I'm a first-time candidate. I got nearly 20%, but um, I mean, I don't want to judge, judge the voters in my district and say that the 220,000 Democrats who didn't vote, uh, there's anything wrong with them. I think, you know, the message that they're, they're sending, though, by not voting is that their vote doesn't really matter. And I disagree with that. I think their vote absolutely matters, especially in an election like this. The only, the only people... 
um, on the ballot will be those who are going to represent them in Congress. And, uh, you know, I think there's a substantial amount of power attached to a congressional office, and that that power really belongs to the people. But if they choose not to use it, then, you know, they really shouldn't complain about all the all the problems that uh, face them in their district. Um, you know, if people have issues with health care, well, you know, the Affordable Care Act was written by the insurance lobby. And if we had uh, health care law written by lawmakers who actually cared about their constituents, then we'd probably have a single-payer system, such as uh, Senator Sanders is advocating, you know, where small businesses and individuals don't have to worry about paperwork for health care. They just go to the doctor if they're sick. Uh, like, why do complicated when we can do simple? And other industrialized nations, from Canada to our north to Europe and in Asia, uh, they give their citizens health care. And it seems like, you know, we, we should just think of health care as a right and we should take care of each other. And, uh, you know, just like the government pays for our roads and our national defense, it should also be paying for our health care. So you're instead of raising money, you're talking to people. Are you still soliciting, though? I don't mean I don't mean actively. You're not you're not spending your time fundraising. But are are you accepting donations? No, no, we don't have a um, we don't have a fundraising operation at all this time. I'm spending up to five thousand dollars of my own money. Um, that's sort of an arbitrary number, but it's the amount that is the trigger for uh, reporting to the Federal Election Commission. And oh, and it's it's decided process that, about forty five hundred. Oh, okay. At the at the state level. Um, yeah, the, you, the, your reporting gets more difficult. I, I don't even know what that means necessarily, but I know that forty five hundred is some threshold that it's sort of easy to report. But when it gets above that, it gets more complicated. Okay. Yeah. So I just I wanted to avoid having to uh, download the FEC software and deal with their. Um, all their rules and reporting, I thought, well, we're just going to run a grassroots campaign. Um, I've got five volunteer staff members right now. Uh, we're recruiting more, and we've got close to 100 um, volunteers who are helping us get the word out across the district. Wow, so no fundraising at all. Okay. Uh, yeah, because it's like I don't I don't want to compete in a, in a game that I know I'm going to lose. And I know that um, no matter how much I try to raise, I'll still have less than the incumbent. And, but, um, why, but why even, you know, I mean, I understand the paperwork is difficult. It's just the logistics of having fundraising yeah, at all. So but, I, why, but why yeah. not even, you know, even though you're consciously not actively fundraising, why stop yourself? Why even, you know, if someone says, can I give you a few bucks, you, you have to tell them, no, I'm not even accepting them. Why, why did you go there? Well, I just think there's probably a better use of the money because from my experience in 2014, I raised $100,000 and it got me 1,800 votes. And I feel like the campaigns need money for sure. They need money to reach voters. But if it's a contest of who can reach more voters with more money, then I know that I will not win that game because the the odds are so stacked 
against me. Um, there's rare rare cases where um, the odds can even out if if money comes from uh, all over the country. You know, like it's really interesting to to watch the race in Florida's 23rd congressional district where Tim Canova is trying to out uh, the chair of the Democratic National Committee. Yep. And there, um, you know, he's raised over a million dollars, but um, his campaign sort of became a national campaign when people realized how corrupt the chair of the, the DNC was. So, um, you know, I don't know that I have that sort of similar dynamic here in New York 7th Congressional District. And I was just trying to to think that, well, if I raise money, then I can, I'll spend it and that may help me get more votes. But but then I'll be constantly worried about trying to raise money and, um, you know, what what we're really focusing on is um, seeking and engaging voters. And I think mm-hmm. $5,000 is on the low end of what's needed. Like, I think, um, you know, in New York City, we have a matching fund, uh, publicly financed system of elections where small donations get matched six to one, but then it caps out so that each campaign um, can have about $150,000. So then the, the the election's fair, right? Because each candidate, if they work to raise a minimum amount of money, they get capped at the, at the same amount. So it's like, I can imagine, you know, an election for president of, uh, of the fifth grade class where the teacher says, to the three students who are interested in running, okay, you're each allowed three pieces of poster board and you can use markers to make your signs, um, you know, but, uh, you know, Debbie, it's not fair if you you get to use um, 100 poster boards just because your father's wealthier. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been doing really well so far because we've got all these volunteers um, we've been flyering the district. Um, we're about to start uh, a phone phone campaign, and that volunteer energy is much more valuable than any anything you can buy. So, um, you know, I I thought also just by changing the um, the operation a little bit and focusing less on how much we're raising or even if we're raising at all will allow us to focus more on connecting with voters. Hmm. Okay, so so can you give us a well, I mean, first of all, how I'll give you, I'll give you uh, let me give you a great example. Um if if I had raised money, let's say I was wealthy, I have a wealthy network, I send out some emails, make a few phone calls and presto, I have $100,000 in my campaign bank account. Then I, I might have done what the other challenger did, which was hire people to go around the district and knock on doors and say that um, we need your signature so we can get on the ballot. That's not what I did. What I did was I walked around all 12 or 13 neighborhoods in the district and I talked to people and asked them if they were a registered Democrat and told them that I was running for Congress and asked them if they'd be willing to sign my petition to help me get on the ballot. Most people said, well, why should I sign for you? And I asked them what their issue was, what's important to them. And they sort of bounced it back on me, like, why are you running for Congress? And I said, well, I think Congress should be working for the people, not the big corporations. 
And then people would nod and sign. And so I got to interact directly with voters by not having that money that probably I might have, I'm not sure exactly, but I probably would have just said, okay, I can hire people $12, $15 an hour to knock on doors um, and get the signatures where I wouldn't have had to interact with a single voter to do you're that. Creating, you're creating relationships. Uh, and, yeah. and and this is exactly what, what Senator Sanders did. I believe it was in Texas, but I don't think it was just there. I think it was other places where he could have just spent money to get on the ballot, and he chose not to. And instead, he had his volunteers go around and ask for signatures and created relationships all around the state. Um, yeah, That's, and those connections are very valuable because then people – they're talking about the issue, and if it's a really good connection, and people will stay in touch. Um, one woman who I met on Saturday is a registered nurse in a community that's not affluent at all, and she helps um, she helps seniors, and she helps uh, people get educated. Um, you know, the day I met her, she was talking about colon health, um, but. Uh, you know, if I if I had somebody just out there who wasn't me or wasn't a volunteer who would be enthusiastic about our campaign and our message, then it just you know there would not be that connection. So I see right. I see your point. So uh, why don't we end with? Can you tell us? Uh, are you in total agreement with everything Senator Sanders wants? Do you have uh, any significant disagreements with him, or, or what are your, and what are your, sort of signature issues, the, the issues that are most important to you, or to that you found that your that your constituents are are concerned about? Well, Sanders is running for president. I'm running for House. The different offices, but you know his platform to guarantee health care for all citizens and. Um, you know, work on our infrastructure, um, stop spending so much money on overseas military action, invest in domestic programs like education and our environment. Um, you know, those all make sense, and I'm fully in support of Sanders, and I think we need we need basically uh, public education to continue through the university level if we're going to compete internationally. Um, it should it should not be a determinant of how far you go in school, uh, the wealth of your of your family, and um, you know, I've focused mostly on what Sanders has talked about too, is taking big money out of politics. So um, you know, I don't know if we agree 100% on all the details, but I think in theory we, we agree on most everything. Well, you're clearly in a, in a lot in a much better position to help him follow through with those things. Me, as potential surrogate, you know, uh, I don't have much say at all in, in, in much of that. However, it's still important. Just because I would be replacing a retiring Republican, and my partner, who's running for freeholder, would also be replacing a retiring Republican, and it's, and you know, creating the government that we want is is sort of indirect in my part, but still important. But you yeah. you clearly support directly um, a lot of that agenda. 
Yeah, and people in my district too do as well. I mean, I I remember um, a guy who um, didn't sign my petition because I don't think he was registered to vote, but he really liked what I was talking about um, in my campaign and Senator Sanders' campaign, and he had heard of this, and he told his friends, "Hey, if 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 Sanders is president, then you know maybe I'll get my." and then uh, go back to school. And he could do this under Sanders' plan where, you know, public universities are tuition-free. Um, so he was really excited about this idea, and then that that made me really satisfied in supporting Senator Sanders because I, I saw that, you know, these policies can really change people's lives and make our community stronger and make our country stronger. And I'm I'm jealous of you, Jeff Epstein, because you you have Sanders' endorsement. Um, so please, next next time you speak to him, uh, ask him to endorse Jeff Curzon in New York Seven. Well, we're having we're having we had lunch every week, um, so I'll bring it up next time. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's amazing. Is how busy you both are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be nice? That was true. No, I I I've met him. I've met him because I jumped in front of him as he as he went off stage. Um, That's the uh, way to do it. If you, want, a, if you want something from a politician, you got to get in front of them, put your hand out, grab grab their hand, and don't let go until they uh, agree to do what you want. Well, it was cool because I I, uh, I actually I asked him the question that I, I was I traveled to South Carolina. I live in North, I live in New Jersey, right across from Philly, and I traveled to South Carolina. With, with other supporters that we all were strangers at first, and we knocked on doors and we, you know, for five days for to teach people about him. So we saw we it, just coincidence we were going to go home and then we found out from the campaign office that he was coming the next morning at a breakfast. So of course we postponed our leaving so we could go to the breakfast. And a lot of the question, not a lot, but I, I got a few people asking me, can can I vote even though I have committed a crime in the past. So I don't remember what the law in South Carolina was. I don't think that they can vote if they had ever committed a crime, which is a crime. Um, but it made me curious of what about people in jail? What if what about prisoners? So I, I asked him, do, what do you believe about prisoners having the right to vote? And so he answered my question, and, and the answer was, Absolutely, they should have the right to vote. And Vermont, his state, is one of only two states in the in the country that actually allow it already. And so the way he's answering it is he's like pointing to me, and it, and it, I like to think that he's disciplining me. So I have a picture of him disciplining me. <laughs> um, so that was so that was a that was a really cool experience. Um, yeah. So, um, well, how about why don't you, if people want to support you. Uh, what would you suggest? If people want to support me, I would suggest that they contact their members of Congress and tell them to stop taking money from PACs and lobbyists. And then they can also go to my website, jeffkurzon.com, J-E-F-F-K-U-R-Z-O-N.com. And they can look at the website, and if there's anything that I've said on this uh, podcast, or on the website that drives with them, and they know anyone who lives in Lower Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Ridgewood, or Woodhaven, Queens, 
send it over to them and say, hey, vote for this guy on June 28th. Jeff Curzon seems like he's uh, advocating for the Democrats to be the party of the people, just like Bernie Sanders. And can people that are outside, that are that are far away, do anything to help you? Like phone banking or something? Uh, well, we haven't uh, set that up yet, but um, if people are interested in that, then we could certainly do that. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I have a volunteer uh, tab on the website, and um, you know we'll we'll need help phone banking for sure. So if anyone's interested in doing that, we'd love their help. Great. All right. Well, Jeff, uh, thanks for talking, and I uh, wish you the best of luck this time. And um, Thanks. Good luck. Well, th thank you so much, Jeff. All Talk right. to you soon. Let's stay in touch. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.